everybody. Welcome to episode 503 of Munster Kid Radio. I'm your writer, host, producer, Derek M. Cook. I'd like to welcome you to the show where we're going to talk about a Christmas movie this week on the podcast. Typically, we talk about the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. Well, this time around, we're talking about a movie that came out in 1996. Yeah, it's a relatively newer film. Newer film? Relatively newer? It's a newer film. Something that we don't normally talk about here on the show. But it is The Munsters. And as far as I'm concerned, you talk about The Munsters, you're talking about something that we can talk about here on Monster Kid Radio. The movie is called The Munsters Scary Little Christmas. This is a made-for-TV film that, like I said earlier, came out in 1996. It aired on Fox Television. It was kind of sort of produced by Universal because it's Munsters. It doesn't have any of the original cast. And you know what? We're going to talk a little bit more about it. Actually, a lot more about it here in a little bit with this week's guest. He is returning to the show. Disney Indiana's Scott Morris. You might remember, if you've been a longtime listener of the show, that Scott would come on the show around Christmas every year to talk about some sort of Christmassy monster movie. But that's something that we've kind of gotten away from here on the show. We just haven't done it in a while. And while we're getting back to that, we're bringing back that tradition this week when we talk about the monster's scary little Christmas. Also this week, of course, we've got Kenny's look at Famous Monsters of Filmland and Mark Matsky is back with another Beta Capsule review. The music that you're hearing right now is actually from the band The Nick Atoms. The song is called It's Christmas Time and it's from their album, The Nick Atoms Christmas Record. The Nick Atoms is no longer a band, but years ago they gave us permission to play their music here on the show and well, they put out a whole Christmas album that I enjoy quite a bit. I listen to it every year around this time, so I wanted to share them with you guys and gals. You'll hear the song in its entirety with vocals at the end of the episode. Before we get into the rest of the episode, just want to remind everybody that if you head over to the Monster Kid Movie Club at monsterkidmovie.club or just look up Monster Kid Radio over on Twitch at twitch.tv, you can see that we are currently streaming monster movies all day long. We've got about six and a half hours of monster movies playing on a loop right now. And we're talking about movies like Santa Claus Conquers the Martians, The Great Rupert, Santa Claus, you know, the Mexican film where he hangs out with Merlin and fights the devil, the original Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, and much more. Head over there right now, and then tomorrow on Friday, Christmas Day itself, I'm going to change it up a little bit, and you'll be able to see Danny Johnson Saves the World from Christopher R. Mim, as well as a movie from 2000, I believe, 15, called Christmas at Dracula's. Again, that's at www.monsterkidmovie.club, or just look up Monster Kid Radio on Twitch. Of course, don't do that right now. Do it after you're done listening to this episode of Monster Kid Radio. And speaking of which, why don't we go ahead and get to the rest of that right now. A dark force awakens. Manos, God of primal darkness, as thou hast decreed, so have I done. The hands of fate have doomed this man. Thy will is done. And only one being in the world can stop it. Santa Claus conquers Manos the Hands of Fate by Anthony Wendell. A comedy sequel for two of the worst movies ever made. 
Madam, it will be very dangerous to leave now. The master wants you. Santa has a little girl to save. I'll try, dear lady. He'll have to face a dark force to rescue her. And he'll need some help from a robot. Cord, come out of the spaceship. Santa Claus Conquers, Manos the Hands of Fate by Anthony Wendell is available on Amazon. Check it out for yourself. Ho, ho, ho! Merry Christmas, everybody! Listen. Do you hear? It's coming back. Turning the screen into a buzzing, crawling, creeping nightmare of terror. This is the son of the original fly, daring to explore the forbidden science of transmigration that brought horrible death to his father. You look as if you've just seen a ghost, old man. It was the fly. Fear that will fasten its choking grip on you as his weird experiments spawn the twisted monstrosities of a living hell. The rat man whose hands and feet are changed to paws. The living corpse who rose from his coffin. And the return of the fly, seeking revenge with a thousand eyes. Smashing anything that stands in his way. Suppose he does come here. What if Philippe does not have the mind of a human, but the murderous brain of the fly? Then he will have to be destroyed. Live from the Land of Light in Nebula M78, home of the mighty Ultra Heroes, it's Monster Kid Radio's Beta Capsule Review. Submitted for your approval. The 17th episode of Ultra Q, entitled The 18th Project, which premiered on the 24th of April, 1966. This installment carries some strong Twilight Zone vibes thanks to the straight-ahead sci-fi story, imaginative set design, and lack of giant monsters. When Yuriko is nearly trampled at a crowded train station, her attention turns to a nearby office where people are signing up for an experiment called the one Project. The idea is fairly straightforward. If there was a way to shrink people and their accoutrements to one their normal size, many of the problems of overcrowding would solve themselves potential participants are assured that they can continue to cultivate bonsai trees and have as many children as they like. Yuriko is curious but non-committal until she is inadvertently herded onto an elevator and subjected to the experiment. The technology to miniaturize humans evidently exists and it is up to June and Ipe to seek out their newly diminutive friend. But will their size cause too many complications in a one-eighth world? The one Project is a welcome change of pace episode, giving the lead actors plenty of scream time, and it could be said that they rise to the occasion. 
This week's familiar face belongs to Sachio Sakai as a government clerk. Sakai can be seen in significant supporting roles in classics such as Godzilla, Yojimbo, and Seven Samurai. For Monster Kid Radio, this is Mark Matsky wishing you a Merry Christmas and an ultra-happy New Year. The House of Wax, the ultimate dimension in terror, comes to the screen in Stereovision 3D. Vincent Price, at his diabolical best, will take you room by terrible room on a journey to the ultimate chamber of horrors. Stereovision 3D will synthesize before your eyes the terrifying reality of it all. In Stereovision 3D, House of Wax is more than a movie. It's an experience you'll never forget. I am Dr. Lee Cushing. Welcome to my Chamber of Horrors. Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors is a serialized monster rally novel in the tradition of the classic Universal and Hammer horror films. It's written by Stephen D. Sullivan, the award-winning author of White Zombie, Daikaiju Attack, Manos, The Hands of Fate, and the original chill role-playing game. My goal is to recreate the thrills of the monster versus monster films that we all love. We'll have vampires, werewolves, mummies, psychic twins, and scheming madmen. And that's just in the first storyline. Now you can get Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors and other monster stories sent directly to your email for as little as a dollar a month. For just two dollars, you'll get all the chapters in advance, plus bonus stories and other perks. Sign up now at CushingHorrors.com or visit SDSullivan.com for a Patreon link. I do hope you've enjoyed your visit. Please come again and remember, the chamber is always waiting for its next victim. Happy holidays, Monster Kid Radio Hits. This is Kenny with a look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. December 24th, and we are going to go in the MKR time machine back 55 years to 1965 and see what will be waiting under the tree for this eager monster kid. FM 36 was published right before the Christmas season and was loaded with over 200 gruesome goodies. Let's flip through the pages to see what little Kenny would have got. We quickly pass the mummified cover over articles on future flicks, Dracula and the Mummy's Ghost. Right after the mystery photo, we have a new item right in the middle of the issue. The Do-It-Yourself Monster Makeup Handbook. Listen to this write-up, and you'll say, just like me, I've gotta have it. You asked for it, and here it is. Only famous monsters could bring you this fantastic handbook on monster makeup. You've all read Dick Smith's article in the pages of FM. And now Dick has put together a complete 100-page book revealing his secrets for the first time. The Do-It-Yourself Monster Makeup Handbook tells you where to obtain the materials you need, as well as how to apply these materials to your face. The step-by-step methods are fully explained in simple, easy-to-follow terms. Anyone can follow the description to turn themselves easily and quickly into one of the exciting monsters shown in the book. It's all here, and it costs only 60 cents. Send away for this book without gambling a penny. Read it for five days. If you are not delighted at the end of that time, 
If you can find this information anywhere else, then simply return the book for your 60 cents back. You have nothing to lose and a world of monster makeup to gain. Send in the coupon today. With the presentation of this new book comes a makeup contest where you can win prizes as you try out all the tricks you can learn. We continue on, flipping quickly through an interview with Forey, articles on the House of Wax, Return of the Fly, and The Lost World, and some regular features to get to the massive Captain Company catalog that rivals any Monster Bash dealer's room at your fingertips. We start with FM back issues, some cheesy novelty items, and an announcement of a new comic magazine for Warren Publishing, Eerie. Plastic models, an 8mm projector, and some skull items attract your attention. And then the masks, including new ones featuring the Munsters. There are some magazines and more novelty items on the next pages, and this strange one catches your eye. Frankenstein Mad Mask Drips Blood. World's only shimmering, moving action Frankenstein's mask with dripping blood action. It's all in the reflection. Move ahead slightly and huge blood drops seem to pour out of forehead cuts and eye holes. All a trick though, and you stay perfectly clean and dry. Monster fans will love it. Others will be scared stiff. Send $1 plus 25 cents postage and handling. The next page features another new item, a must-have, the Mad 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 Scientist Laboratory. Make Dr. Jekyll jealous. All the mad scientists will turn green with envy when you start using your mad, mad, mad scientist laboratory. Down through the long, horrible history of monsterdom, there hasn't been a more compact, more amazing set like this. Imagine being able to carry on 100 laboratory experiments. Imagine being able to use chemicals, test tubes, beakers, and many other useful instruments to perform genuine scientific experiments. Be a mad scientist. You may not make your buddy shrink away to nothing, but simple instructions will let you do laboratory tricks of many, many kinds. The minute you open your mad scientist laboratory set, you can do experiments with powders, liquids, textures, measurements, etc. Truly professional experiments you can't get a chance to do, even in school chemistry labs. Right before your eyes, you'll make substances change, make successful tests of all kinds. Truly a marvelous way to prove you can be a mad scientist. 100 different ways, on 100 different days, if you want. Astound everyone. Watch the look in Dad's eyes, Mom and Sis's too, as you call them in to watch you be a monster chemist. No one will believe it is possible to do so many dozens of experiments. Until you do them. And you will. As easy as Dracula or Dr. Jekyll. Friends will also be astonished at your talents as you let them watch or help. Don't wait, don't delay, get your set today. Your mad scientist laboratory comes in huge, beautiful, full color carton. Simple instructions are included. You get hundreds of hours of fun and education. And remember, the 100 experiments you perform are the same as those carried out by skilled professional chemists, teachers, and scientists. Months of mad scientist experiments. Set comes complete, nothing else to buy. Includes a big variety of chemicals and holders. Guaranteed safe and harmless as you perform over 100 mad scientist experiments. The only thing to drive you mad about that is that it is completely safe. Of course, we'll find a way to make it dangerous. More novelty items follow. And then a full page ad for the Famous Monsters photo printing kit. Which is your favorite photo from Famous Monsters magazine? Dreadful Dracula? Fearsome Frankenstein? Horrible Mr. Hyde? Malevolent Mole Man? 
Now, here is good, gruesome news for Monster Mobsters. For the first time, you can have your own monster photo printing set. You can now personally own a complete set of the 10 most famous monsters photo negatives. Now you can print your own wallet-sized photo cards of the eeriest monsters, the all-time favorites officially selected as the best from Famous Monsters magazine. Your photo printing set includes everything you need to print official photos in a few minutes, right in your own home. Think of the convenience of taking a Famous Monsters negative, and in just minutes you get a finished print. You will be the envy of all your friends. You can have a photo printing party. Invite the gang in and show them how easy it is to get first-class prints of their favorite monsters. Your photo printing set includes everything you need to print official photos in a few minutes right in your own home. The 8mm movies are next, with all the classic monsters represented. We have some LPs, too, with this one jumping out at me. Famous Monsters Speak. 50 minutes of sheer terror, brought to you by the editors of Famous Monsters magazine. You are Dr. Frankenstein, for only you can bring his horrible creation back to life, in your own home, through the magic of this real-as-death high-fidelity recording, and more. You will not only enjoy the company of the Mad Doctor's fiendish creation, you will also bring Count Dracula back to life. You will hear this human vampire. You will almost feel him as he reaches out for you. But don't wait. This is a collector's item, available in limited edition. Order today, only $1.98. Next we have the Monster Hot Rod Model Kits. You have to see them to believe them. Mummy, Frankenstein Wolfman, and my favorite, Dracula's Dragster. Imagine Dracula on the drag strip. You can put him there in the way out, ghastly, ghostly Dracula dragster. A horror on wheels. Flames shoot from the exhaust. A bat perches on the radiator. Eerie decorations adorn the front bumper. Sculptor Dracula steers the dragster with one hand, holds a magic potion in the other, while his red cape flies behind him. It looks as though Dracula is driving a coffin. And why not? That's what it is. You'll enjoy the ride with Dracula, and you can for only 98 cents, plus 27 cents for postage and handling. More books, magazines, models, movies, and novelty items round out this massive catalog, which is topped off with the Adams Family Haunted House model. Who's there? Nobody but a ghost host to meet you and greet you in typical cheery, eerie fashion. This haunty, jaunty house, an exact replica of the creaky house on TV's famous Adams Family program, was designed to warm the cackles of your own house. It's a kit built to scale. You can almost hear the moan, the shriek, the wail of the famous TV show. You can love, cherish, and have fun with it, and build it yourself. Keep your lights on, only long enough to assemble the Adams Family haunted house in a few minutes. Then turn the lights low and shriek with the creak of banging shutters, angles, gables, chimney, and other creature features. Have a real thrill as you chill to your own cozy, haunted house, exactly as lived in on TV's most famous spook show. Last but not least, in full color, beautiful Don Post masks, the costliest items in this issue, all at $34.1965, a difficult treasure to obtain for little Kenny. So if Kenny has been good, and Santa can carry it all, 1965 could be a good Christmas for this monster kid. That is all for this week's look at Famous Monsters. We will have more next week. For MKR, this is Kenny saying adios.
Claus conquers the Martians. Santa sets up a fantastic automatic toy factory on Mars. The Martian leader battles the wicked Bodar in a desperate effort to save Santa, the wise man of Mars. 900 years old. The Battle of the Toys, when Martian kids and Earth kids join Santa to battle the bad guys of Mars. For real space-age fun, you'll be out of this world when... Santa Claus conquers the Martians. Christmas and the graveyard folks are coming out to play. The skeletons and zombies sing a ghoulish roundelay. The goblins play their jingle bells and wait for Santa's sleigh. The tidings of mayhem and trouble are a whole. May your Christmases be scary evermore. Happy holidays, Monster Kid Radio listeners. We are bringing back a tradition that, you know, we haven't really practiced here on the show in a while. When we first launched the show, every episode that came out around Christmas time, we tried to do a Christmas kind of movie. We did Santa Claus Conquers the Martians. We did the Santa Claus film from Mexico that, wow, is a doozy. And then we kind of stopped because we ran out of movies. We didn't know what to talk about. There wasn't really a lot of monster horror or even horror Christmas movies that were appropriate for Monster Kid Radio. But then the other day, Scott sent me a picture of a DVD that he found at a, was it a Walmart? Uh, Meyer actually. Oh, a Meyer. Oh, okay. <laughs> Very important part of the story. He's at a Meyer. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a DVD. What was the DVD, Scott? The Munsters Scary Christmas. So that is Scott Morris, the man from Disney, Indiana. The reason he sounds a little more distant than normal, I hear he's up at the North Pole right now hanging out with Santa Claus. Well, it's actually Herman. I'm actually hanging out with Herman. Okay, okay, <laughs> working with Herman Munster to make sure all the boys and girls get their toys for the year. Or something like that. I don't know. Scott Morris, how you doing, man? I'm doing well. Well, about as best as it can be for 2020, but it is almost over. It is almost over, and, you know, I thought we'd cap it off with such a, a wonderfully, um, uh, such a, 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 a good, um... A movie. A movie. <laughs> yeah, we're talking about a movie. Okay, listeners, um, I do try to keep things pretty positive here, so, you know what? Scott promises me, he assures me that he's going to be able to balance my somewhat negative feelings about this film... But we'll get into that here in a second. First, I want to hear about what's going on at Disney Indiana for Christmas, man. Oh, the house is all decorated up for Christmas. Tracy and I are uh, getting all excited. Um, I'm actually off work for the rest of the year. I took a week's vacation and then I get two weeks for holiday time. So I'm enjoying life right now. 
Anything going on special at the podcast for the holidays? I can't uh, think of anything big. We just recently covered what might be considered a Christmas gift for some people. It was uh, my birthday gift. Uh, my wife ended uh, got me the Arcade 1-Up Star Wars machine uh, cabinet. So I've been playing quite a bit of Star Wars, uh, the original arcade classic game, the Vector Graphics, and it is a lot of fun. Right on. I didn't know if you were going to talk about that on the show or not, but I guess it is a Disney adjacent. I mean, it's a Star Wars thing. Uh, yep. Technically, I suppose it's owned by Disney at this point, as is almost everything else under the sun. So that's awesome. <laughs> they actually own the movie we're going to talk about today in a roundabout way. Really? Yeah, this was made by Fox. But it had a universal, well, <laughs> I guess Universal it, it, owns the characters. Like I said, in a roundabout way, because the sh the show was uh, made for Fox Television, it then converted to Fox Family for many years, which has been converted to Disney Family, and so they may have the rights to this movie. <laughs> Didn't it turn into like Freeform there for a short period of time? Is that yes, what the network it, was? Yep. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So with any luck, this might turn up on your Disney Plus. Is what you're saying? Maybe, maybe. <laughs> or, but I I'm yeah. watching The Mandalorian over that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what do yeah, you think is more likely to turn up on Disney Plus? This or the Star Wars holiday special? Ooh, the original. <laughs> the original. I mean, they did show the Lego holiday special this year. Mm -hmm. The Lego Star Wars holiday special. It would not surprise me if at least the Boba Fett cartoon made it to Disney Plus. I'm actually more surprised that that hasn't gotten more play just overall in general. Oh, I agree. I agree. Because that's the best Tra part of that. Yeah, Tracy and I actually uh, talked about the Star Wars Holiday Special a couple episodes back on our podcast. And there is a very interesting documentary that's in the works that we found out about called A Disturbance in the Force, which mm -hmm. I love the title. All about the Star Wars Holiday Special, which I definitely want to learn more about. I've heard about that, too, that they're trying to go back and talk to as many people that are willing to talk about it uh, <laughs> that are still with us. And my understanding is that they unearthed some interviews with somebody that was involved with it that is no longer. Was it Peter Mayhew? I think it was Peter Mayhew. And it was all ones that were done at the time of making the special. Mm -hmm. So I'm I'm really excited to learn more about this. I'd be very excited to learn more about it, especially. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. You know what? This is not what we do on MKR. We're going to celebrate this movie. I'm going to find something to like. And, and Scott assured me that he's got a roundabout way to enjoy it. So <laughs> let, let's dive into this. It's the Munsters Christmas thing. Scary little Christmas came out in 1996. Way out of time frame from MKR. It is. It's probably one of the more recent films we've talked about here on the show when you look at the calendar. I think it'll maybe be one or two. I guess we talked about Dracula Untold and we kind of roundabout talked about the mummy film with Tom Cruise. But yeah, this came out in 96, made for television with none of the original cast. <laughs> no, none at all. And not even the cast that uh, this was actually the third cast. There's a second cast that I'm not as familiar with that did a Munster special and supposedly they were all in line to come back to do this one. But whoever was playing Herman in that one asked for a little bit of money and the powers of be said, okay, we'll take the money away from the rest of the actors. And so all of them said, Nope, we're done. 
So that was Here Come the Munsters in 95. Yes, uh, thank you. Yes. Uh, with Edward Herman as Herman Munster, who I think at first blush looks more like a Herman than this guy did. Not just because of the last name, but, you know, I could see him playing Herman. I've never seen Here Come the Munsters, so I don't know. But, yeah, he, he uh, he's no longer with us, but he did a lot of television commercials. I remember seeing him in that. He was a, a mainstay on Gilmore Girls and a handful of other things. Uh, and he, he's built like a Herman. Well, this one was, uh, Herman was played by uh, Sam McMurray here. Do you know anything and I about actually, him? I'm sorry? I'm sorry, I didn't mean to talk on top of you. Do you know anything about him? Well, I was going to say, first, I thought he had a lot of the mannerisms down in this special. He wasn't built like uh, Fred Gwynn. He's not near as big, I think. But he had a lot of the mannerisms down. And... The whole time I'm watching and I'm thinking, where do I know this guy? Because his voice sounded so familiar. And there was a show that I was a fan of that I watched quite a bit, uh, The King of Queens. I don't know if you ever watched that sitcom. I'm familiar with it, though. Yeah. Sam McMurray actually played Kevin James's supervisor in that show. He was kind of a recurring character. And that's where I, I first knew him from. But then I, I did a little more uh, thinking. He was actually has a Disney connection because he was the voice of Ray Hess on Dinosaurs. Now, for those of you that ever watched that show, Roy was uh, the main character, Earl St. Clair's best friend and co-worker there. Uh, so he does have a Disney uh, connection. And then another thing that I remembered that uh, is going to be more of a Monster Kid related uh, link. He's in a Adam's Family Values. Really? Yes, he plays. There was a family in that that the Adams family kind of uh, it's their antagonist in the show. OK, um, the, the daughter goes to a, a day camp or the kids go to a day camp and there's a little rich, spoiled girl there that um, gives them a hard time. Uh, that family is called the Buckmans. And um, Sam McMurray played uh, Don Buckman, the father in that. In the 1980, 1993 film, The Adams Family Values. So he's been on both sides of the Adams Family Munsters battle. Huh. Okay. Well, I didn't know anything about him. I looked over his filmography, and the only Disney connection that I found, and we always talk about Disney connections when you're around. Um, right. <laughs> uh, he did, it doesn't say what, but he did one of the voices on the radio drama version of Empire Strikes Back that National Public Radio did back in the 80s. Don't right. Know, don't know what voice it was, but supposedly he did one, so. I just recently re-listened to all three, the, the Star Wars, Empire, and Jedi NPR broadcasts. Aren't they great? Oh, they're amazing. Especially the first two, just fantastic. Yep. So, yeah, he's in that as well. So that's our Herman. Our Lily is played by Anne Magnuson, somebody else I know absolutely nothing about. You got anything for me? You you didn't watch Star Trek Picard? Take that back. Yeah, she is. Um, <laughs> one, so she is uh, like one of the admirals there, isn't she? Admiral Kristen Clancy in two episodes of Picard. But beyond that, I got nothing, dude. Yeah, that's all I knew her from, too. <laughs> I got nothing. Um. And she uh, is okay. I personally felt like she was a better Lily than McMurray was Herman, but I guess I, I, have, high, I have high Herman standards. <laughs> both of them, I thought, were 
passable. I'm, I'm not saying they were good. They had a lot of the mannerisms down. They sounded a little like them. They didn't look like them at all. But yeah. they, those two, really, of the family, they're the only two that are passable for me. You mean you didn't like Sandy Barron as Grandpa Munster? Oh, no, not at all. Didn't look like Grandpa at all. And I know him from nothing. Yeah, I, he's got a heck of a filmography when it comes to like television yep. work. I don't know anything about this dude either, but yeah, he was probably my least favorite monster in all of this. I, I don't know if he was going so far to make the character his own. If he was, I just, he just felt flat to me. The other two, you keep saying they had the mannerisms down and I guess I could see that for me. It felt more like a caricature, but then you're a caricature of the monsters, which is already kind of a caricature of the monsters. So yep, yeah, yep. It, it's like a second generation kind of thing for me. And what they did with his makeup, too. I wasn't a big fan of the character design on that. Uh, I don't know if that's his real nose or not. I don't think it is. He didn't remind me of Grandpa Munster at all. No. Anything anything about him, the way he acted and moved and his mannerisms, nothing reminded me of Grandpa. And I've always been a big fan of Grandpa Munster. Oh, yeah. He's great. Especially Grandpa and Herman together. Oh, yeah. And there was no chemistry between these two actors at all. No, no, not at all. All right. Uh, let's talk about uh, Eddie Munster, played by Bug Hall. Bug Hall. And <laughs> uh, I got to go with my two Disney connections right off the bat. He is the voice of a little kid in 1997's Hercules animated film. Okay. Okay. And uh, he's also in 1997's Honey, We Shrunk Ourselves, playing Adam Solinsky. That which is was one, the next movie that he did, right? The next project right after that, this. That was the next one after that. He's one of the kids of the Solinsky family. So I knew him from his very first film role. He played Alfalfa in the Little Rascals movie. Yes, he did. And if I remember right, he did a number of commercials after that as well. And the only reason that sticks into my brain, his name's Bug. <laughs> the only reason I knew that. And it looks like he's one of these kid actors who is still kind of sort of active in the business. Yep. He's still yep. doing small things here and there, including some television again, that sort of thing. He was wearing the worst wig I've ever seen. Yes, he was. It was, it was an unfortunate headpiece. The only time that I got a little bit of, you know, was happy when he was on is when he gets into his bed for the very first time and, and we see Wolfie. Yes. I loved Wolfie. <laughs> yeah. In fact, I told Tracy was kind of in the room. She wasn't really watching. Oh, I no. Told Tracy, I said, you need to make a Wolfie for your stuff with character. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> and, you know, we were talking about the monsters. Let's just go ahead and knock the other one out. Uh, Marilyn Munster played by another person, which of all the monsters, I am most at ease with somebody else playing the role of Marilyn because we've been programmed from the very beginning of the show that that character gets changed out of, or excuse me, that actress gets changed out every once in a while. So I didn't like her. No, there's an innocence to Marilyn from the TV show and the movies that we've seen in the past that was missing here. She seemed a little more streetwise to me. Yeah. Uh, she's played by Elaine Hendricks, who at the time, you know, cute in a 90s girl kind of way, right? She's got the the Rachel from Friends haircut, 
she's got that kind of bubbly. <laughs> but yeah, she doesn't have the merit. I have no idea what that was, by the way. <laughs> I, I will never do that again. Uh, but yeah, she's. I just she's, hope you don't cut it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm just glad this isn't a video podcast because you don't want to see the dance I, little, I just did. Um, <laughs> just as long as you weren't wearing the same short skirt that he, she wears most of this film. <laughs> well, you know, when you got the legs, you got it. Anyway. Well, uh, <laughs> I'm not complaining. <laughs> Except for when the elves saw it, but that's, <laughs> Oh boy. That was, uh, <laughs> so she's, she's active. She's doing lots of work right now of the five monsters. I feel like she's probably the one that's done the most lately, uh, and is still doing stuff. She was on the dynasty reboot. So she's still doing stuff. So Elaine Hendricks is Marilyn, um, kind of a, a non-starter for me in the film as well. Uh, she just kind of lacked something. She was Marilyn. You could tell she was Marilyn because she was the blonde one. I mean, that's about it. There really wasn't, like you said, that kind of innocence to it. Yeah, I was really disappointed in the direction of her being not as innocent. She seemed a bit, and I, I can't think of another word, a term to say, but kind of sexed up a little bit. Oh, she, I have thoughts about that. <laughs> She reminded me of, um, and I'm blanking on the character's name, but the daughter from uh, Married with Children, Christina Applegate's character. Kelly, yeah. Kelly. A little bit of a Kelly, not to that extreme, but that's the vibe I got off of her. Yeah, not as sexed up in terms of like being sexually active per se. Right, right. But yeah, definitely kind of played with that kind of, always kind of, yeah, boy. The, that kind of rubbed me the wrong way. So I'm going to make some assumptions here uh, regarding the dolling up, I suppose you could say, or the sexing up of Marilyn, as well as some of the jokes that come later, especially with the elves talking about how much they really want to see some mud wrestling. Uh, yes. And, and they're really <laughs> obsessed with that, uh, how they are infatuated and love Marilyn's legs and talk about how how far up they go and what kind of a wonderful climb it would be to get up them and <laughs> how, long, how long it would take. Oh yeah. boy. Um, I have some comments or just an assumption about that. And that is one of the co-writers of this film is a gentleman by the name of Ed Ferreira. Scott, I don't expect you to know who he is, but any longtime pro wrestling fans might know the name because he was somebody who with Vince Russo, in the 90s, jumped ship from the WWF to WCW and is responsible for writing a lot of the more Attitude Era style material that happened during that time between WCW and WWF, the Monday Night Wars. And I know a lot of eyes just glossed over when I started talking pro wrestling. But if you think about stereotypical 1990s pro wrestling on television, it's not high art, folks. <laughs> Especially when you think about how the women were handled and portrayed. Is this the time of um, gorgeous ladies of wrestling? No, this is post this. Okay. That's about the only familiar familiarity I have with women in wrestling. Yeah, this, this is mud wrestling, bikini matches, nightgown matches, bikini contests. This is that particular era uh, of pro wrestling. This is before women's wrestling is really given a proper shine on television and in the business really it's all to use a phrase that i've picked up uh from a wrestling program at one point i'm sure it's not exclusive to wrestling but it was all sizzle no steak um okay and and the wrestling was very sexist and misogynistic and brought in the ratings but it 
didn't really bring on women wrestlers because they could wrestle. They brought them in because they were sex objects and they were treated as such and were told to perform as such. And part of that was because one of the writers, I'm sure most of the writers were told to do that. And one of the writers of that co-wrote this. Well, I can understand now having watched this now before I brought this to your attention, I had never seen this film before. I didn't even know it existed. Yeah, me neither. So having watched it for the first time uh, just today, actually, I can see where in the 90s that you want to bring in that type of thing, thinking that you're going to bring in the young male audience. But when we watch it from a 2020 point of view, that aged horribly. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah, this. Oh, Oh, so yeah, he was one of the writers, Ed Ferreira. And I saw that name come up in the credits. I was like, no, that's not the guy. No, that's that's the guy. Uh, the other co-writer is Kevin Murphy. I don't know anything about him. His name didn't strike me uh, as, as anything that I might have some exposure to. So I don't have anything there. But yeah. Um, Ed Ferreira technically is a Disney connection as well because he worked on the Honey, I Shrunk the Kids television show. Well, there there is two other cast members that I wanted to, I want to point out. Okay, okay. What do we got? Uh, the first one was the character of Mrs. Dimwitty. Did you realize who that was? <laughs> I was wondering if you're going to bring that up. That's Mary Warrenov. Yes, very prolific B movie actress. Mm-hmm. She's been in films like Death Race 2000, Night of the Comet, Chopping Mall, Rock and Roll High School. And she has a Disney connection because she's in 1990s Dick Tracy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she was in a movie that I've been trying to get my hands on. If anybody has access to a short film called The Vampire Hunters Club, it's from 2001. I've been trying to get my hands on it. I don't know where even to look for it. Uh, I should actually ask Don Glute. He's the one that directed it. But John Agar's in it, and I want to see this movie so badly. So if anybody's got a, a lead on The Vampire Hunters Club, Apparently starring Mary Warrenov and a bunch of other people. <laughs> Let me know. Uh, but yeah, I, she did a lot of uh, B-movie stuff, cult stuff. Uh, did she ever do Trauma? I'm not sure she ever did Trauma or not. But I'm a big fan of hers. I like her. I think yeah. she's, a, she's a lot of fun. And she was fun in this. I mean, she was very stereotypical of a TV sitcom-ish neighbor who thought themselves better than anyone else, but I, she played it well. She's the neighbor from Bewitched. She's the neighbor from uh, Christmas Vacation. She's that kind of nosy neighbor, thinks she's better than her, but yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and really kind of played for laughs. Um, she is in Night of the Comet, which I know is a favorite of yours. Oh, yeah. Uh, she's she, one of the uh, scientists in that, and she's really good in that movie. And if you go on Netflix, look up the short film Frankenstein's Monstrous Monster Frankenstein. Uh, it's short, so it's not a big commitment of your time, but it's fantastic. And she's in that as well. Uh, that stars David uh, Harbour, who uh, you might know from Stranger Things or even the last Hellboy film. But he's fantastic in that. Is he the sheriff? Yes. Okay. He's also um, going to be in the Black Widow movie when it ever comes out. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And there's one other actor that I, I wanted to point out. And for me personally, this is my greatest Disney connection I have ever brought to MKR in my entire career. <laughs> career. <laughs> career, yeah. And that's Ed Gale, who played one of the elves. He was Larry the Elf. He also <laughs> was the man, the myth, the legend, 
Howard the Duck. <laughs> In 1986 film with the same name. <laughs> the man, the myth, the legend, the duck. <laughs> the duck. <laughs> he was also, which I think is fun because it's an, it's one of my all-time favorites, he was Chucky's stunt double in Child's Play from 1988 as well. <laughs> uh-huh. But I love Howard the Duck, and I know it's no good. But Dude, I you just... love what you love, man. <laughs> yep. <laughs> you love what you love. <laughs> So it was, yeah, seeing Ed Gale in there, like, yeah, it's Howard the Duck. It's awesome. <laughs> did, did did he save the movie for you? Pardon? Did he save the movie for you? I was enjoying the movie before I saw him in the film. Okay, okay. It's, it's very sitcom-y. Oh, very much so. And you could tell it's a TV movie because there's a lot of fade to blacks where the commercial would oh, go. Yeah, I half expected, you know, a 90s commercial to show up half the time, even mm-hmm. though this was, this was a less than $5 DVD. I bought it, um, at Meyer. So I, I definitely got my $5 out of yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, it's very sitcom It follows that kind of that format. And one of the things that I really think was a lot of fun was all of the cameos of the other universal monsters that show up in this film. Which, when we first started talking, and you said, you know, something about it being a Disney thing, I was a little surprised because I remember the Universal logo at the beginning of this, and I knew Universal controlled the monsters, so I I was really confused. Yeah, because, you know, you see the Wolfman, you see the Mummy, the Invisible Man, the Phantom of the Opera. You see the creature, just for a second. I was leaving that one for you. (laughs) Yeah. You see him more than a second, because there's an early on scene, because... Basically, in the story, Eddie's having trouble with Christmas because he's not having a traditional uh, Transylvanian Christmas. He doesn't like Southern L.A. or Southern California, excuse me. So each of the monsters take it upon themselves that they do separate plans to, to get him to have a good Christmas. And Marilyn's idea is to invite all the family for a traditional Christmas party. So she writes letters to everybody in the Munsters family, including the creature from the Black Lagoon. So there's there's a scene where he gets his card early in the film and you see him from inside his, his mailbox, basically. And then there's a big party at the end where all the monsters show up and he he's there dancing. The one thing I kept watching and waiting for him is being referred to as Uncle Gil, and that never happens, unfortunately. There's a couple things that happen in here that I wish there was a throwback to, or a callback to. I really was hoping for that, but yeah, I just never got it. But I, I thought it was cool that to see all of the other monsters, including the Lon Chaney version of Phantom of the Opera. I thought that was awesome. Yeah, that was cool to see that, for sure. Yeah, you know, there's enough monsterisms monsterisms i guess in here to i don't know i don't know i'm losing my yeah it was cool to see him (laughs) (laughs) and like i mentioned earlier i thought sam mcmurray did a a passable job as hermit I, i did like the the scenes where he was trying to raise extra money because his idea to give eddie a better christmas is to buy him the one toy that he wants and you see him not having extra money. He goes to he. I guess he works in a um, a funeral home, right. and he goes. He can't get a uh, a raise or a bonus or anything. So you see him going to try to raise 
extra money, including going to a blood bank, which I thought that went on too long because the phlebotomist could not get the needle in his arm and the needles kept breaking or bending or whatever. Right. But, but the one job that got a laugh out of me when he was going to be a model and, and that was probably my inner 12 year old, but there's a art school and it's a room full of people that are waiting for the model to come out. And he comes out wearing a big oversized red smoking jacket, which I thought was hilarious. And of course he drops the jacket and he's a nude model. <laughs> yeah. That joke got overused a bit. You know, and that's, that's something from this sitcom. I feel like yep. the creators of this maybe watched a handful of the shows of the original TV show and tried to work some things in. It's like, Oh, he works at a mortuary. Let's make sure we put that in there or a funeral home. Excuse me. And, you know, people scream when they see Herman and people run when he opens the door. They did that a lot with the carols and that sort of thing. When the that, carolers would show up. That's the point I was going to make. Because they, they make that joke at least three times in the movie with different groups of carolers coming and screaming when they see him. And that got old. I tell you, and maybe I'm just being unfair to the film. I cast my judgment on this from the very beginning during the first scene with the carolers. When he comes out and the carolers scream and run off and he goes, oh, we're doing James Brown. And it starts doing the James yeah. Brown dance. I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, it, it, did, it didn't get off on a good foot there. Um, in fact, when that happened, I heard two words running through my head in your voice. <laughs> and it's from the episode uh, 500 the, uh, oh, the court oh exactly <laughs> when i brought up a certain thing regarding a man in a banana <laughs> i'm just gonna leave it at that merry christmas there's an image for you um <laughs> i would have cut that down maybe just the scene ends after they all run away the the, the james bond or james bond james Brown. <laughs> now i want to see herman munster as james bond but okay yeah, I, I started to too, but um, <laughs> the, the the fact that they use that joke at least three times in the movie is like, come on, come on, something else, something different. But yeah. I, I I also like when later on Marilyn's uh, quote unquote boyfriend shows up and Herman expects him to sing. I thought that was okay. It wasn't bad. Yeah, but there was there was a lot, a little funny bits in there that kept me going again like you said i wish there was more callbacks to the original show mm -hmm. uh, i was also hoping you know like i mentioned i would love to have seen them mention or call him uncle gill i would love to have seen the car there's a lot of things that i would like to have seen i got really excited towards the end uh, when they're talking about how they don't have reindeer, how are they going to get around the world so quickly to drop off all the toys? And I thought, are we going to see Dracula? Are they going to pull out the coach? Are they going to do yep. something? No. No. They just take all the bikers from the biker bar and turn them into reindeer. Yeah, I, I was wondering if there was things that they just didn't have access to or yeah. were denied access to. I don't know. Maybe. But uh, really, I think this film... Even though it's kind of generic hijinks happen at Christmas where everything goes wrong and we mm -hmm. have to save Christmas. Because, yeah, and they actually at one point in the, in the special abduct Santa Claus and Santa Claus and a couple elves show up. Mm -hmm. But really, it, there was some laughs in there for me and it was kind of a fun family film. It's very family friendly. Very, very family friendly. I feel like if you come to this 
not knowing anything about the monsters. And you said this earlier, so I don't mean to steal yep. your thunder, but if you come to this, not knowing anything about the monsters, you might get something out of it because it doesn't play like a movie with characters that we already know. It's kind of implied. This is their first Christmas here in the States. And that just does not jive with the show. You know, I mean, we right. know they've been there for a while, but they're talking about how they hate it here in LA or Eddie hates it here in LA. He doesn't, hasn't made any friends. He really misses the old country, that sort of thing. Like you should have gotten over that back in the sixties when the show was, but okay, whatever. Yeah. That was really one of the things that kind of drug me personally down watching this film Yeah, is because of my history with the characters. Yeah. And it really prevented me from getting as much out of this film that I think I could have. If, if somebody is not familiar with the monsters at all, or if you have little kids and you want to introduce them to the monsters, I think this this would be a, a good starting point. Potentially, yeah. Because you've got that Christmas vibe that the kids would get into as well. And you got Santa and you've got a decorating contest and there's enough stuff that they're familiar with and then they're going to see the monsters and get a taste of what they're like whether it's not a full taste it's just a nibble and enough to where well maybe i want to learn more about these people maybe yeah yeah okay i'll give you that <laughs> i'm trying to be, i'm trying to be generous and give you know i'm trying to be um so the Overall story, like we've already talked a little bit about, Eddie misses the old Christmas. He doesn't think Christmas is great here. Uh, he's picked on in school, apparently, and that that's something that's kind of sort of brought up and then maybe brought up again at the end. Doesn't have many friends. He just thinks Christmas is not going to be great this year, whatever. And <laughs> the family wants to help him have a good Christmas. And ultimately, they end up kidnapping Santa Claus and a couple of elves. Yeah, yeah basically, the three family members each come up with a different idea. We mentioned... How Marilyn is inviting all the family to Southern California. Grandpa is trying to figure out a way to make it snow in Southern California, being the greatest alchemist in Eastern Europe, which he mentions many times in the movie. Many, many times. <laughs> and then Herman decides he is going to get the toy that Eddie wants, the Mark Desaad <laughs> Dungeon playset. <laughs> which I want one. Yeah, me too. <laughs> and uh, Lily, she decides to get Eddie to help her decorate the house to enter into the neighborhood Christmas decorating contest. Yeah. So you've got these, all these little sub stories going on. And at one point, for some reason, grandpa teleports Santa and two elves from the North pole to Southern California why he was doing, I didn't quite understand why he did that when he was trying to make it snow, but that's what happens. What are the elves' names, Scott? Larry and Lefty. <laughs> yeah, Larry and Lefty. Oh, yes. boy. <laughs> oh, man. So now there's the hijinks of how we're going to get Santa Claus back so he can you know do the Christmas thing. And like about halfway through the movie, as Santa Claus is there and they're trying to figure everything out, Eddie does a 180, just kind of randomly... Okay, he likes Christmas now. We got to help out. Well, I believe the whole movie does a 180 because you've got these stories starting of each of the characters trying to cheer Eddie up. And then all of a sudden, when Santa and the elves show up, the elves turn out to be, hey, we take this advantage of not having Christmas this year and visit some bars and, and just party and mud wrestling. Mud wrestling. And we're going to 
sabotage all the plans to get Santa back so we can stay here and not have Christmas. Mm -hmm. And how do they sabotage? What do they do to Santa? They turn him into fruitcake. (laughs) Literal fruitcake. (laughs) That was bad. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Yeah, but it gave Mary Warrenov an opportunity. I mean, it ultimately it's a Mary Warrenov having a chance to kind of chew the scenery a little bit and really yep, kind of yep. go over the top, which, you know, she's fun to watch freak out. And and she does it well. Yeah. So I did enjoy that. I also enjoyed the way the house was decorated. And, and it really gave me kind of a Nightmare Before Christmas vibe because it was two holidays colliding. They were doing Halloween-type decorations with a Christmas bent to them. That was my favorite part of the film. And I was going to ask if you got a Nightmare Before Christmas vibe oh. out of it um it was it was mostly nightmare but i also got a touch of beetlejuice got a little bit of beetlejuice and to take even a step further i almost felt like the decorations felt less monsters and more adam's family true but i still really liked it i love <laughs> the guillotine and the snowman getting his head chopped off i, um, I want that in my front yard <laughs> oh that was awesome are you kidding me that was great Yes. And and I know they're trying to play it up for laughs and they're trying to create more animosity between the neighbors and the monsters because Mary Warnoff's character typically wins the, the decorating cost, contest. But the judge adores what the monsters have done. <laughs> and that's where I got the Beetlejuice vibe because it's not the same actor, but he's, he reminded me of Odo. Oh, he really did, didn't he? Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Not the same actor, no. but that's that's where I got the Beetlejuice vibe from. <laughs> oh, what 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 is that actor? Who is that? Um, I don't even know who that is. But yeah, no, you're absolutely right, man. Oh, but I did I did like the decorations. I love the decapitating snowman. I just <laughs> and they also had a woman who was being dropped from a noose into a boiling water that looked like Mary Warnock's character. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I'd be all over that. I'd be all over that. That's that's the kind of Christmas decorations I want. I don't do a lot of Christmas decorating and that sort of thing, but that's what I want right there. <laughs> now, we do a lot of Christmas decoration. I would put up a lot of that stuff for Halloween. Personally. Ah, there you go. See, you set it up for Halloween and you just let it ride for a few months. There you go. <laughs> that's right. One and done, man. <laughs> you mentioned Herman getting a job as a nude model for an art class. What was the job he got after that? And how did it turn out? Uh, he, <laughs> he was a telemarketer. <laughs> Working from home. Yep. Uh, calling, uh, cold calling people, asking them if they wanted air conditioning. And <laughs> he, there's a scene where he's calling and he's obviously talking to a woman, but you never hear her side of the conversation. You just hear that kind of in the background. Yep. Yeah. And he refers to her as Mrs. Somebody or other. But uh, she, he goes, well, what am I wearing? Well, I'm wearing um, oversized boots and a jacket and everything. No, no, a nightgown. A nightgown. Nightgown. That's right. A nightgown and oversized boots. And uh, he says, what about you? And you just hear, well, then I guess you don't need an air conditioner then, do you? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, wow. Did did she just, wow. <laughs> yeah, because Tracy her, overheard that part and she's like, did she just say she was wearing a nightgown and oversized boots too? And I said, no, no, no. 
I suspect she's wearing less at this point. Yeah. Yes, that that's was... why she didn't need the air conditioning. Yes, yes. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That was uh, thankfully the last job we got to see him try, right? Yes. Because <laughs> I, I didn't want to see where that escalated to. We start to nude model to inadvertent sex phone operator to <laughs> Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I wish they wouldn't I mean, I don't like you know, that was kind of weird and a nude model where while I enjoyed it, it really didn't fit in with this movie. I think they should have spread that out. It was like, boom, 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 boom. Here's what he's doing. Here's what he's doing. Here's what he's doing. Okay, we're done with that joke and go on to something else. Yeah, they did kind of play that one pretty hard and just really let go. And they also played Grandpa up a lot. Um, They really let him ham it up. And, oh, boy. Yeah, I actually read, I was looking um, when I was reading about this, and there was, uh, let me see if I can Find it here. Sam McMurray does a passable job as portraying the bumbling Herman Munster, and Anne Magison keeps some of Lily's sass, but Sandy Barton as Grandpa is hammier than a truck full of pigs. Wow. <laughs> Sandy Barron, truck full of pigs. Which one? Yeah, wow. <laughs> All right. I, I, I kind of have to agree. <laughs> oh, he's really over the top. It's just, oh. I, he kind of falls to the wayside the second half of the movie. Yeah. Which is good. I mean, there's there's a scene when they're... We mentioned Sandy gets turned into a fruitcake. Mm-hmm. And there's a scene where they're trying to turn him back into Santa. And you don't see Grandpa doing it. You see Lily trying to do it, which I, w- I was happy about. <laughs> yeah. They could have easily had Grandpa trying to do it. If this was a ha- like a, a three-part episode of the monstrous had come or whatever that felt like the equivalent of Sandy Baron just wasn't paid for that week's episode. So they had to give his parts to somebody else. And I was okay with that too. And and it wasn't just done. They did try to give us an explanation. It was like, as a little girl, I used to help my dad do this, this, and this great. Awesome. You do the work, Lily. Yep. yep <laughs> Let grandpa hang in the belfry some more. <laughs> Although he does come back at the end because they do wrap up all the other little, for the most part, all the other little uh, storylines with the making it snow and that sort of thing. Yeah, he ends up making the snow, which ends up winning the uh, decoration contest. And as we mentioned earlier, once they get uh, Santa back, I I do like the idea of the the toy machine that the elves (laughs) built that's hooked up to Herman's head, his brain. And all I got to do is show him a picture of a toy and it shows up on the conveyor belt. I did like that. (laughs) Yeah. I did see the possibility for some hijinks there as well. Uh, I'm glad we didn't get to go that far um, because at that point I was, I was pretty much done. I was ready to move on. I was ready to set up Skype and call my buddy Scott to talk about it. I wasn't, I didn't need much more, Um, but we did get a little bit more because Herman does get to go on the sleigh ride at the end and, you know, goody for him as is pretty typical with a lot of stories like this. The father figure is just as big a kid as the kid and really gets in the Christmas spirit, even more so sometimes than anybody else than the kid. And <laughs> he gets to put on the Santa Claus suit and gets to ride with Santa and, you know, have his little Christmas thing. So one of the things I really like about this movie is the visual of Herman Munster in a Santa suit. And we needed that. We needed that to override the visual of the Herman Munster 
kind of sort of looking like the driver from Munster Go Home, but not quite when they go to the biker bar. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Which got me really excited again when I saw that. I was like, oh, oh, are we going to see Dracula? Oh, just give me the coach. Give me something. Give me one of the, I don't care. Just give me something. Nope. Yeah, I would like to have seen him on a uh, monsterized motorcycle or something. Yeah. If you can't use the real stuff, let's come on, have some fun and, and build up, but probably didn't have the money for it. So a lot of this felt like they didn't have the money for it. There's one thing that bothered me. Okay, that's not one. There's, there's I was one. I going to say, it sounds like a lot of things. No, what, there's, there's one, one thing that really, I, I wanted more with Eddie and the other kids his age in the neighborhood. Not necessarily with the bully, which does get referenced a few more times. Apparently, Santa Claus gives out deer droppings on top of coal if you're on the naughty yep. list. And he's very happy about it, which, Santa, I don't think he's supposed to be happy about that, but okay. Um, but I wanted to see more with Eddie and the kids, especially the the kid who's done up like the class nerd. It almost felt like Eddie had a friend. And like, I want to know more about that. Yeah, I did too. In fact, he doesn't seem to even survive the only scene he's in. Because yeah. there's a scene early in the film where where Eddie and this um, other kid are walking together and the bullies stop them and they kind of push Eddie down and they get his note that he's written to Santa Claus of what he wants for Christmas. And the other kid just kind of disappears. He's not there anymore. You could tell there was almost a connection there. Maybe yep. there was and there was something missing. I don't know, but... They're walking and they're actually talking to each other. Are they still behind us? I don't know. Better not look. It really felt like they were friends and I wanted more yep. of that. Yeah, I did too. But that's the only thing I wanted and everything else was perfect. <laughs> I, I think you see him in a blink and you miss it thing at the party at the end. Yeah. I think I saw him. The party at the end, as much fun as it was to see the universal monsters, the universal design of the monsters, including the hunchback. We got to see the hunchback of Notre Dame there. Yep. And that was cool. That scene, though, felt more Adam's family than monstrous to me. A lot of this felt more Adam's family than monstrous to me. I can definitely see that, especially when uh, Lily shows up at the top of the stairs to, before the party really kicks in. You don't know everybody's there. Yeah. And she kind of is really over the top. She's vamping it up, man. She's vamping it up. Thank you. That's a good term. And you you definitely get a uh, Adam's Family vibe there. Well, and then when Grandpa gets on the piano or the organ and starts playing, it's like, dude, that's what Lurch does. Come on now. Yep. Yep. <laughs> but, but it was cool, like you said, to see the Universal Monsters in there. You see the Phantom. And I haven't watched it yet. Um, the Monsters Revenge special that's on the Monster Go Home Blu-ray. Uh, I guess there's a Phantom in that as well. At least the back cover <laughs> of, of one of the releases of that online shows that. Uh, so I guess that turns up in there. And like I said, or like you talked about, Uncle Gil shows up, even though they don't call him that. I do wonder if maybe they only had, like you said, permission to use certain things. They can mention Mockingbird Heights. They can mention the Munster family and their character names. They can mention Spot. But... Maybe they can't mention the coach or show the coach or, or talk about Uncle Gil or reference anything else from the show. Or maybe it was intentional. Maybe this was, you know what, we're just going to do our own thing and ignore everything else. I don't know. Could be. Which is a shame. I, I would like to have had it tied to the original series just a little stronger. Yeah. In all honesty, there's a scene near the end of the movie where 
grandpa steals a sleigh from a display and they're, they're stealing it because they need it for the actual Santa to use. And they get pulled over by the police. And I was half expecting it to be one of the original actors. I don't oh. remember exactly where, uh, when Fred Gwynn passed away or the guy that played grandpa, but I would love to, if that had been like car 54, that would have been a perfect what, cameo. Yeah. I was kind of hoping for that. Oh, when, when did Fred Gwynn and Al Lewis pass? Now I want to know. Let's see. This came out in 96. Fred Gwynn passed in 93. So that would have been a no go. I think Al Lewis passed before him, didn't he? I believe so. Oh wait, no, 2006. He stuck around. So he could have been there. Shoot, give us Butch Patrick. I don't care. Or you, yeah, <laughs> even Butch Patrick. Somebody. Yeah, it would have been fun to, just to have, you know, somebody do a, a quick cameo right there because that that cop's in it. What maybe a minute? <laughs> yeah, just a second. Treat it like the Brady Bunch movie. Throw in one of the original characters as a random cameo for no reason. Yes, I just brought up the Brady Bunch movie on Monster Kid Radio. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, yeah, I would have liked to have been one of the the people that was also in Car Fifty Four because then you could have had a double cameo. Could have been the Munsters and Car Fifty Four, right? Yeah, that would have been good. There's a lot of things in here that would have been good if uh, there's a few things that, again, like I said, felt more Adams Family. The door knocker. What was that about? It reminded me of a Christmas Carol door knocker. There you go. Okay, I'm trying real hard to make it make sense in my head, and I'm having a hard time jumping to Christmas stories. I'm just thinking, that's not very monstery. That's an Adams Family thing. No, you're right. That's Christmas Carol right there. Mm -hmm. There's a talking door knocker, which the monsters did not have, right? No, they did not. I didn't think so. We do see Spot for a second. Probably more yep. Spot than we ever saw on the show. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of fire. You see him fire. a couple times yeah. because he... Um, at one point, they uh, Lily says, "What well, did he eat?" So and so. I said, "No, he still had half a mail carrier," <laughs> which I appreciated a lot. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was actually one of my favorite jokes. Actually, when they're talking about, yeah, they still have mail carrier in the bowl. Yeah, that that was one of my favorite uh, gimmicks or gigs, gags. That's the word. Favorite gags, gags in the show. Wow. Yep. Give me some coffee. <laughs> Yeah, I don't. I don't know, man. I, I don't think it's going to become a, a mainstay of Holloway holiday. Ho You still there? I'm still here. I just forgot how to talk. This is not going to become a mainstay of holiday viewing for me. I'm glad I, I watched it. It's fun to get back to our, our uh, tradition here on the show. And it's fun to hang out with the monsters. I honestly think I'll watch this again. Yeah? Uh, I enjoyed it more than I thought it would. Now, I going into it, like I said before, I knew nothing about it. But I did a little bit of glancing after I purchased it. So I, did I make a bad purchase? And I saw there's a lot of bad reviews uh, online about this that people don't like it. So when I hit play on it, I was like, okay, I'm in for something really bad. And I enjoyed it. I had fun. It was fun to see these characters in a Christmas setting. It was fun to you know, see them trying to act in a little more of a modern day and age. I mean, they didn't make everybody else seem like they were in the fifties or sixties. It seemed like they were in the nineties. And I kind of enjoyed that. I, I would like to see the Munsters trying to interact with more of a modern world. 
And the fact that it was at Christmas time, which I'm a big Christmas fan to begin with. I love all things Christmas and I love Christmas movies and I love Christmas situation comedies quite a bit. I've always loved the different uh, ways they do Christmas episodes. I was glad this wasn't a Christmas carol. I mean, other than the knocker, that's the only reference, but you know, I, I didn't want Herman to fall asleep and be visited by three ghosts because it seems like most sitcoms do that at some point. Mm. I was glad that wasn't the way that this went. Uh, I'm glad they didn't go down that route. Although Again, and I keep comparing it to the Adams family. Doing <laughs> doing the the three Christmas ghosts feels more Adams family than Munsters. Yep. I don't know why it does. It just does. This does have a more cartoony feel, which is relevant. I mean, it, it's appropriate. Uh, the Munsters was a little bit more uh, parody and lighthearted and, and family friendly, family fun. It didn't have the edge of, uh, for lack of a better term, sexiness that the Adams family had. Do you think that things like that fit into the Adams family better? Because I believe the Adams family references more of monster supernatural type stuff where the monsters is more a fish out of water. Let's let's put the monsters in the real world. You know, I think that's part of it. Maybe it's kind of a reverse, though, um, with, with most of that kind of putting them in the real world, because it's not like they are having they're having trouble with the real world. The real world has trouble with them. Oh, definitely. <laughs> um, yeah, they're not changing. Yeah. But again, I enjoyed it for what it was. Starting it up, I was kind of apprehensive. I'm like, what did I get myself into? But I found myself laughing and smiling at different points. I liked Herman and Lily's character. Even though they're not the originals, they were passable for me. Enough to for to carry this bad as grandpa was. And in fact that he disappears the second half of the movie, I was glad. Oh boy. Yeah. And everybody else, nobody else is dominate the screen like Herman and Lily do. And they were fun. They were passable. They were fun for me. So I was enjoying the movie. And like I said earlier, if you've got little kids that you want to introduce the monsters to, I don't think this is a bad way to introduce them. Because you, because you've got that Christmas vibe that the kids love, and I think they would uh, enjoy this and be interested to find out more about the monsters. And then when they move on to the actual series, they're going to uh, see something that's even better. But having said all that, I, I will probably watch Santa Claus Conquers the Martians and the, and Santa Claus over this. Yeah, as would I, as would I for sure. I am glad I watched it. I really am glad that I watched this. Got me a little bit more of the Munsters uh, legacy, I suppose you could say, in, in me. I, I haven't watched a handful of the Munsters movies. Talked about the Munsters Revenge. I haven't seen the Edward Herman stuff. Uh, I guess that was just the one show. And and I didn't yeah. see the attempted remake launch. I haven't watched the one pilot they did a few years ago. But, I, you know, I'm happy to have seen it. There are a few moments that I'll remember. I don't ever need to see Herman doing a James Brown dance again. Uh, I never, and not that it was overly bad or very long or whatever. It just felt you know, out of character. It's so out of character and just kind of silly and dumb looking. Just, yep. <laughs> he's like, Oh, he's wearing a, a large suit. Let's have him shake the large suit around. And he's like, he just didn't have the body type. I always enjoy when they put him in situations that are the fish out of water type situations. And, and there was enough of that here for me to enjoy. Yeah, you know, telephone solicitor. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah. And just being completely oblivious to all of it. Yeah. Yep. That's, that's the, the plus. He just completely, he just does it. Just he's happy go lucky and nothing gets to him. Yeah, that's true. It takes a lot to get Herman down. You're right. He's always got this kind of eternal optimism and it doesn't matter what the world does or, or how it reacts to him. He's always got this, this, this shine inside, you know? In, in this case, what really gets him down is his son not being happy. Which goes back to something that I think is core to a lot of the Munsters, right? Is that Herman Munster is the quintessential dad. He's the one yep. that, he's the dad that monster kids may or may not have wanted, I suppose, depending on what relationship was with your dad growing up. But he's, you know, he's, he's the one, if you have a problem that involves anything scary, you know, he's going to, he's got your back. He's got you. Yep. Oh, yeah. definitely. He would, he, I mean, he wouldn't be my choice to replace my dad, obviously. Yeah. But and he, I wasn't trying to go there, but I know what you mean. Right. Yeah. But he would be, uh, you know, a good, you know, uncle. I'd love to have had him as an uncle. That would have been awesome. Oh, dude. Yeah. That'd been <laughs> fun. I'd never want to leave their house. <laughs> <laughs> Can we go visit Auntie Uncle again, please, 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 please. <laughs> Even if they thought I was hideous and ugly like Marilyn, which they did play that a little hard, too hard for me in this. I felt like that came up a little bit more than I was comfortable with. Yeah. But there was a lot of issues with, with her character all the way through. So there really were, there really, really were, you know, at least she got a boyfriend who didn't go running and screaming when he first saw Herman this time. (laughs) It's true. He was also kind of dumb and oblivious to everything, right? Oh, it's a costume party for Christmas. This would catch on. Like, dude. Okay. <laughs> yeah, and I do like when Lily sits with somebody wearing a costume. <laughs> oh, man. I know we don't do ratings or rankings or anything on here, but it sounds like Scott gives it a thumbs up. I, I would recommend it. Just if you're if you're a, even the littlest fan of, of the Munsters, give it a shot. For me, it wasn't as bad as I feared it was going to be. It's not great. It's not high art. It's not, you know, something that, I think a lot of people will like, but there is some that are fans. And, and if you're not as big, uh, know the Munsters as well. I think you will get more out of it, unfortunately, but it might get you into what's wanting to see more the Munsters. That's always the hope, right? That whenever somebody does a remake or a reboot or reimagining that fans of the original always hope that, well, this means maybe somebody will check out the original. That, that's what we always hope for. And maybe true. Maybe that that'll happen here. Yeah, I think this being a reboot or reimagining, I don't think they went far enough away from the original to to really start something new, and they didn't get close enough to the original to to be it a, a true homage. It's kind of in the gray area there. Yeah, it's an alternate reality monsters. It's a there you go <laughs> alternate timeline. Where... Alternate, a multiverse go to, go into Marvel. <laughs> it's part of the, <laughs> the, the Santa Claus Munsters multiverse where Lumpy and Lefty know how to turn Santa Claus into a fruitcake. Yes. <laughs> and they love their mud wrestling. And really, who doesn't? I mean, come on. And climbing. I mean, that's what I'm going to be. Oh, well, I'm not going to be doing that right after this. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> I want to end the conversation on that, but I feel like that's such an abrupt stop. We already talked about what Disney Indiana is up to this year. Uh, anything else for the rest of the year? What's coming up at the uh, 
at the very end of the year for Disney Indiana. Any big New Year's plans? We've got one more episode coming up, and we're still trying to figure out what to do on that episode because it's not it's after Christmas, but it's Christmas weekend because Christmas, I believe, is on a Friday this year. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's that weekend, but we're we're still trying to uh, to think about I think we're going to talk a little bit about a recent trip. We actually finally went somewhere. Uh, we went to the Superhero Hall of Heroes Museum. Uh, luckily, we were the only ones there. Oh, so you had the place to yourself, right? Unluckily for them, we were the only people there, but there wasn't anybody else in there. So I felt pretty safe. We were wearing our masks the whole time, and we got a chance to talk to the owner quite a bit. He was he was masked up, and so it was it was good. And plus, they had uh, one Lego set that I personally have that I've never built. Um, the 1966 Batman Batcave that uh, is the entire Batcave, the Batcopter, the Batmobile, all Lego that came out a few years ago. It's now uh, out of print and very hard to find. They actually had it all put together. And when I was talking uh, you know, with the owner there, he was telling us that his son actually built it. His son's 20. so another adult fan of Lego there. And uh, we got a little bit conversation into his plans for next year because his son will turn 21 next year and he wants to have his 21st party and first drink at the cantina bar at the galaxy's edge in Disney world. Oh, I hope the world, you know, is safe enough for that. That'd be awesome. <laughs> that would be a wonderful place to have a 21st first drink. <laughs> <laughs> but no, that's, that's awesome, dude. That sounds cool. So, so we'll probably talk a little bit about our visit to, to there, but I don't know what else we'll talk about. Very cool. Any big plans for 2021 for the podcast? Do you know what you're doing yet? Your big theme? Our big theme, uh, 2021 is also in Disney, Indiana, two big 50th anniversary years. Yeah. Uh, Walt, Walt Disney World itself will be turning 50 years old in 2021. And so will my co-host. <laughs> So one of the things, and there's nothing funny about that. I wasn't going to say that. (laughs) (laughs) And one of the things we're looking about doing is uh, picking out each month um, an attraction or a restaurant or a hotel or something that opened with the resort in 1971 that's hopefully still uh, working or still there and kind of talk about its history each month, kind of to celebrate the 50th anniversary of Walt Disney World. Right on. We hope we hope to actually get to visit it, but uh, we'll see. Well, fingers and tentacles crossed for, for not just that, but for everything moving into the new year. Scott, thank you for your support this year on Monster Kid Radio. Of course, there's a link over our website to Disney Indiana, but I'll just tell you right now, DisneyIndiana.com. That's where you want to go. Go check it out. Keep up with Scott and his better half. I appreciate it, and I also want to thank you and and all of uh, monster kid radio for everything that you've done in support of um everybody during 2020 with the show and the streams it's been almost a lifesaver for me um from going crazy and being able to get together with uh, monster kids and just chat up on the the streams while we're watching the, the these different movies it's been amazing and i've loved doing it um, also been so much uh, cool to be able to help support it with uh, tracy's stuffed with character 
which if you want to search over on Facebook for stuff with character, you can see what she's up to over there. But uh, being able to share that with a lot of people and also learn about video editing, which is something I had never done before this year, and to be able to make some commercials that run over there has been amazing as too as well. So I wanted to thank you personally for that, those opportunities. You're welcome. Now I appreciate all the support, of course. And yeah, you know, stuff with characters been an important part of the Monster Kid movie club. So thank you for being part of that. And yeah. Scott, I know you and I will talk again before then, but until then, just in case something happens, I don't think there will be. I hope I didn't just jinx it. Happy holidays, man. Hey, happy holidays to you and um, happy new year and everything else. 2021's got to be better. Got to be. Well, that brings us to the end of yet another episode of Monster Kid Radio. Thanks for hanging out with us. Thanks for spending some time with us on this Christmas Eve or December 24th. If you don't celebrate Christmas Eve, it's just, you know, another day. But anyway, thank you for being here. I just appreciate you spending some time with us here at the podcast. You can learn everything you need to know about Monster Kid Radio over at our website at monsterkidradio.net, where you're going to find links to everything that's important to us here on the show, like our Facebook page and our Facebook group our Twitter page, and our contact information. You can email us at monsterkidradio at gmail.com or you can call and leave us a voicemail at 503-479-5657. That's 503-479-5MKR. If you have any thoughts or comments about anything we've talked about here on the show, either in this episode or the previous 502 episodes or what we're talking about next week on the show, feel free to send us a message and we'll talk about it on an upcoming episode of the podcast. What is coming up next week? Well, I'm really grateful that I've got people in my life that are patient enough to work with me whenever we run into problems here on the podcast. A few months ago, I actually met with friend of the show, Paul McComas, to record about a movie that is a little outside of the Monster Kid Radio wheelhouse, but, you know, it's kind of sort of a haunted house movie, and... You know, it's just something that I wanted to talk about here on the show. And Paul's a big fan of the film, so we recorded an episode about The Shining. Yeah, the Stanley Kubrick adaptation of a Stephen King novel. I conducted a recording in which the both of us talk about the film. And then I lost the recording. I'm hopeful that maybe it'll turn up, but even if it doesn't, it doesn't matter because Paul has agreed to meet with me again to do another recording about this, and that is scheduled to happen here in a few days. So fingers and tentacles crossed. We don't lose that recording because next week on the show, we want to talk about The Shining from, what is it, 1980? Yeah, 1980. So that'll be an interesting episode. I hope, I think. The recording that we did before was pretty cool anyway, and I hope I can capture some of that magic again for you guys and gals here on the show. That will be the final episode of 2020. What does 2021 have in store for us? You know, I can see where I want to be. It's getting there. It's trying to figure out a way to fill in the blanks between now and then from here to there that I'm still trying to work out. But I'm looking forward to working it all out, and I'm hoping you guys and gals will be around to work it out 
with me as I don't know what I'm saying anymore. Happy holidays, everybody. <laughs> Let's go ahead and remind you that Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All the original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio, LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution on commercial, no derivatives, 3.0, unported license. Of course, it doesn't apply to the song It's Christmas Time by the Nick Adams. That belongs to them. My name is Derek M. Cook. Hopefully you'll be back here next week for episode 504 of Monster Kid Radio, where we talk about The Shining with Paul McComas, or you join us at the Monster Kid Movie Club either, well, today or this weekend or Tuesday for the sci-fi movies. You know what? Just stay tuned. We'll be around. My name's Derek M. Cook. Thank you so much. Happy holidays and ciao. Oh, boy. It's Christmas time, it's Christmas time Yippee-bee-yay, it's Christmas time I'm not sick, I'm feeling fine What you like about it's Christmas time String up the lights and put up the tree Nobody loves it as much as me Gotta get together with the family And everyone's happy and Christmassy Gotta do a dance cause I'm happy as punch Mystery gift, well I've got a hunch Meats and cheeses for an early lunch Santa can't have him for his lunch It's Christmas time, it's Christmas time I'm so happy it's Christmas time Get a lump of coal, hey not this time Everyone knows it's Christmas time Checking my stocking for an early treat Toys and candy, they can be beat Think I'm dreaming, better click my feet Of course I'm not, this is really neat Open the presents super fast Better slow down and make it last Always been a good boy in the past Which makes this Christmas a super blast Christmas time, it's Christmas time Yippee, yippee, it's Christmas time I'm not sick, I'm feeling fine I Watch time, Bob, it's Christmas time It's Christmas time, Christmas time I'm so happy it's Christmas time Get love and go away, not this time Everyone knows it's Christmas time Christmas time, it's Christmas time Yippee, yippee, it's Christmas time I'm not sick, I'm feeling fine Cause what's not about is Christmas time